Hi everyone, I'm Mike. I'm Jim. Happy New Year to you. Happy New Year. It's nearly February, man. <laughs> yes, I know, but I missed the first one of the New Year, so I thought I'd say Happy New Year. It seems remiss and to fresh not say Happy New Year, it? Here comes Jim. <laughs> I like hibernating. Hibernating. Crawling out from under the leaves. There he is. Ah, oh, cute David Attenborough voice. No, can't do that. Uh, and hello, I'm Dave, and hello everyone. How are we? And it's nice to have you back, Jim. Thank you very much. And a Happy New Year to you as well, and to everyone else. Thank you very much, and thank, thank you for your kind words in the last episode as well. Reference your uh, your paintwork on your vehicle. <laughs> well, they did a fantastic job, and you really did get me out of a bit of a hole there, so uh, much appreciated. It's still looking nice. It's had its first wash of the year. I don't tend to go mad on cleaning cars like some people around here, so washed off a load of the salt and it looks lovely underneath so um, yes thanks again fantastic job happy that. days no you're uh, you're more than welcome thank you for the thanks and uh, yeah listen to our uh, last episode and yeah i noticed the absence of thanks for helping you shoehorn the engine in your uh, in your onion as well I well i'm i'm going to come back to that in a bit but thank you Yes, anywho, we are well, UK Motor Talk. Thank you for Talk. chastising you for not thanking me. Exactly. We are UK <laughs> Motor Talk, and we are UK Motor Talking already, anyway. There's a couple of things that I want to talk about this week, if I may. Firstly, this is something from today, and we did a reasonably long drive, so we're right down on the south coast as far as you can go. When you we say we, up. this is you and me. Well, we're all actually relatively far south, but, but you and I, Jim, we are right down on the south coast, so close to the sea that you could probably throw a stone into it from here. And... We did a reasonably long drive up to, well, long for me anyway, up to uh, Rockingham, sort of Corby direction. Somewhere that was north, just just north as far as I'm concerned. People go, it's not north and all the rest of it, but it is is north. It's above Surrey, we're north. (laughs) Much is said about the range of cars, how much you can fit in the tank, and the range of electric vehicles and everything else. I want to know, what is your personal range? Because I found myself at 100 miles, completely full to the brim with bladder. And having thumped along a motorway over potholes and bits and pieces, I was in dire need of stopping. And uh, and when I did finally find the services, of course, it did come as that work and break, as the old joke goes. And 100 miles, it turns out, is my range. You must have the uh, the bladder of a, a field mouse then. But at one point, you'd missed the services, hadn't you? And then you forgot what yes. motorway you were on, didn't you? I did forget which motorway I was on. <laughs> and then at one point, you said, I'm just heading up the slip road on the services. And I was like, and I look left because I was passing the services. No, you're not. You're not there. And you're like, yes, I'm just going up the slip road. It's like, to the services. Yes, you've just overtaken that white lorry. And I was like, what white lorry? It was like, is there a massive white <laughs> lorry in my blind spot that I haven't seen? It was like, oh, uh, no. Was, Where are you? But yeah, you're on completely different stretch of motorway at that stage, weren't you? Because we uh, we got somewhat separated. Yes, we were in different vehicles, just to point this out on the way back. We did, we drove oh, up yes, together. Oh, yes, yeah, headed, headed up in, in one vehicles. car, picked up a car and brought, uh, and brought yeah. two cars back. But yeah, personal range... Well, I got a plane to Newark Airport once, so I took off from London and landed in Newark, and I don't think I had a wee on the plane. So, America. That's, che- that's well, I'd say that's cheating, but I suppose you could, you could look in terms of time then, can't you? You didn't place a caveat on it, you just said your own personal range. So, yeah, in, in a plane, America, uh, driving, I did drive from Munich to the Channel Tunnel without stopping for a wee. I had one stop for... Did I have a stop for fuel? No, I don't think... I had one stop for fuel just outside of Munich to fill the car up and and did pretty much the whole way back. So, yeah, Munich to the Channel Tunnel is my record. Man, 
Dave. Well, you get to my age, it becomes a bit more touch and go. But no, it's. <laughs> I was. Uh, I will point out. Yeah, this this was that was a good fifteen years ago now. So whether I could do the same the same again, I'm not quite sure. Without a catheter, um, I think the longest I did probably I used to go up to Manchester quite a bit, and I'm sure I sort of drove pretty much most of the way from Surrey up to Manchester without stopping. Probably because the service stations are so grotty, you just don't want to stop in them. So yeah, I, I imagine that. I think I can go longer than 100 miles, certainly. Even me at my age, with my um, inflated prostate, no doubt, I can, um, <laughs> I can I can do more than 100 miles still. Welcome to UK Men's Health Chat. <laughs> Remember, mm. do check every so often, and if they call you for a test, do go along. Maybe it's just me. You might want to get it miles. checked out, talking about yeah. what we were just saying. There. Yeah, you could be a raving diabetic which I am, incidentally, just just in case I'm not trying to offend diabetes out there. That that would be me. Maybe I just have too much caffeine. That wouldn't help, would it? I do need to feed you a sugar-free Red Bull one of these days just to see what happens. Because I think didn't you once say you had a latte once and you couldn't sleep for about three weeks? God knows what you'd be like <laughs> on a on a proper caffeinated drink. Bloody hell! One of the guys I used to work with, his um, flatmate, used to work for Monster. So one day brought us in a full crate. And I had probably half or three quarters of the can of that and started vibrating across the office. I can imagine you would do. It was like something out of a cartoon. Right, other things. There's been two things that I have been really tempted by recently. We were driving up today, as we've said, and in between having to stop to go to the toilet, we were pointing at SUVs and saying how much we prefer estates. Now, Facebook, of course, listens to everything you say, allegedly, of course. No, if anyone legal is listening, it doesn't do that at all. But nevertheless, two things have popped up that would interest me. The first of which is a new Brad. So this is a Volvo V70 with 120,000 miles on the clock and full service history to 2016. Makes you wonder what's happened in the last seven years. It's tempting. It's red. It's manual. It's a 2.4. It's £550. With only 120,000 miles on the clock, it's only a third of the way through its life, probably. That's a lot more than you paid for Brad, though, isn't it? Because Brad was, what, 275, 253? Less than a skip, anyway, wasn't it? So I think that was the criteria. It was. I think a skip was, what was it, 300 quid for the week, so the car had to cost less than 275 quid. Shows how, uh, how balmy the used car market is at the moment. Graham's been having trouble with the Volvo, hasn't he? This could be right up his street. It would. Yeah, right up his Straza. Well, at the very least, it's a lot of parts for 550 <laughs> quid, isn't it? It's not bad at all. Is that a, it, it's got ULEZ Refugee written all over it, isn't it? But it's obviously not because it's in the wrong <laughs> part of the world. <laughs> well, it, it, it might well be. But the thing is, with my, I have a logic when it comes to doing projects on the house, and that is that rather than having a skip, as we'd said, it was, three, I think, 350 you can sometimes be better off having an estate car. And Volvos are probably the best estate car. They're just, especially an old one, like a V70 or a 960 or an 850. Obviously, we've waxed lyrical about these things in the past. And if you don't get it, you've probably never owned one. So try it. They are genuinely excellent. I think we've got something like four or more skip loads in the back and then also used it to pick stuff up and just we moved a couple of people. It was just generally an excellent, excellent thing. I paid 270 quid for it. I think I did a drop link, maybe a tyre, and then ended up selling it again for another £270. So really, you can't go too far wrong, can you? Well, you do You do have to factor in the cost of a breaker bar, because I sort of snapped your breaker bar in half trying to get one of the wheel nuts off, didn't we? So we thought the thing that was going to kill that car was needing to do anything on the left front, because you couldn't get the <laughs> wheel off. Yeah, it did, it did require us. There was one bolt where we put the car up in the air, someone stood on the brake, 
And I think both of us were hanging off a scaffold bar, hanging off the breaker bar um, to try and get one of the wheel nuts undone and jumping up and down. And the thing still didn't come off. It was like something out of some terrible kid's book where there's just another person gets added on and it still didn't come off. And so, yes, unless you could fix it through the back of the wheel, that would be game over. But what what a thing. And I I was looking at it thinking, have we got any kind of business case for requiring £550 worth of Volvo that a van and a collection of other cars wouldn't sort? No. No, I don't think we did. We looked at that. What what a thing. And the other, and this is something that immediately I sent to a friend of the, the podcast, Ben Hooper, um, and that's a Rover 416 Estate. And I don't think I've, I've seen one for years, years and years and years and years. So this is the granddad spec 416. And this one looks really quite tidy. It's white. It's got a, a beigey sort of interior. So exactly the spec you would want if you were going to buy one of these. Uh, I say want, I use the term quite loosely. There's no history for it, but it's one of those cars you look at and go, yeah, I reckon that could be quite a cool retro thing. Ben said he didn't like the spec, which I thought was, was a bit unkind, bearing in mind that supposedly there are eight left of them in the country. Uh, and I can genuinely believe it. Um, there's probably yeah. eight left of them in the world. Can't really be choosy, can you, when there's eight? But it does look like an honest car. I'm just looking at photos of it now. It's um, it's very evocative of an era, isn't it? The, it is. um, the Rover of that time. I mean, it it just looks incredibly small. That's the thing. I mean, it's and I just didn't realise until now just how long the overhang was at the back when they extended it. It's got very long overhangs, that thing, very short-looking wheelbase, but... It's very, very of its time, and it just it really looks. I mean, just at the pictures, you know, the sort of the, the fifty feet test, which I think these photos may or may not be taken at. It looks good to me. It's not my cup of tea, but I could see why somebody would jump on that in a heartbeat and say, "There you go. There's my next car for taking to festival of the unexceptional." Yeah, you see, now it's not only could you take it to festival of the unexceptional, you could probably put an airbed in the back and mm. camp in the back of it. And take Indeed. it to the festival. Is it just me? Is it just a car person thing that I'd rather sleep in the back of the car than a tent? Is that weird? Mm-hmm. No, I think oh, you're right. I've slept in tents. They're evil. Cars, not so much. It's not going to blow away in a hurricane or uh, or get washed away in a, in a rainstorm, is it? Less likely. It could still happen. I've seen some terrible... Well, this, yeah, yeah. This, <laughs> this is true. Some of the floods we've seen up and down the uh, the country over the last couple of weeks and the uh, the videos that seem to be doing the rounds of everybody driving through the, the fjords, such as they are, at about 38 miles an hour, thinking the quicker I go, I'll, I'll be like Jesus and just skip over the top of it. I don't know. Is that, I don't know what they're thinking. More like Herbie goes to Monte Carlo. Was it? No, it was one of the, it was, one of the, was it the Love Bug? It was one or other of them where it bounced across a puddle. But yeah, you get the same point. People don't go through water if you can't see what's in it. Don't drive through it. It's just ridiculous. You stupid idiots. But sorry, Karen. Half the problem I've had with driving through any kind of deep water is the fact that you can go through very carefully and very gently yourself, and then some absolute jockey coming in the opposite direction will barrel through it at, at full pace and then just create some sort of massive bow wave that then washes over the car and kills yours. So I think most of the issue I have with driving water is other people. It's much like driving in the snow. It's usually a Mitsubishi pickup with the word warrior or barbarian or bastard or something down the side of it, isn't it? <laughs> exactly that. Yeah. Oh, dear. They should do that, definitely. The Ford flute. And can, Ford. can I just say, next time we uh, we as a country end up with a new uh, naval frigate or something like that, you know, HMS, whatever it is, that needs to go to war, can we please call it Warrior Bastard? Because that's the best <laughs> name for a warship ever. <laughs> Does what it says on the tin. It's a statement of intent. Do not mess with this thing. I think it should be a name on an aircraft carrier. And I only realised this week, in fact, I only found out this week, that aircraft carriers, despite their size and everything else, 
are probably amongst the fastest of the ships on fleet. I hadn't realised that they can move at 40 knots. They are really, really quick. They line all the planes up at the back and just turn the engines on. Then they just disappear. <laughs> just give it a bit more. Yeah, yeah. exactly. And we need a bit more speed. Can you fire up another Eurofighter if you would? Thank you so much. 40 knots doesn't seem like a lot, I suppose, really. But when you think about it, that's if you've got a medium-sized speedboat, then that's probably the sort of pace you'd be doing. So when you look at it that way, that is pretty quick. It'll outrun a lot of the other naval vessels, destroyers and frigates and bits and pieces. And I'm sure if you're a Navy buff, you'll tell me this, or correct me anyway, one way or the other. And Some of them now are nuclear and all kinds of interesting stuff, which um, I don't know enough about to talk about uh, cohesively. But I was amazed that they can move that quickly. Kind of like you'd imagine a really, really, really chubby athlete. You'd be very surprised if all of a sudden they just disappeared in the 1,000-metre dash or something. I do remember Jeff Capes could move. He's a big lad. So, you know, never judge it by its size. Judge it by its actions. Donkey Kong in uh, in Mario Kart, he was quite fast, wasn't he? So history is literally littered with examples. Well, there you go. That's that's about as empirical as it gets, isn't it, Donkey Kong? I would just like to add here that I'm, I'm both chubby and slow, so exactly what you'd expect from me. I'm, I'm built for comfort and not speed. Like an old Jag, but not one of the high-level ones. Something like an X-Type. Wagon. <laughs> <laughs> 2.1D. 2.1, yeah. The 2.2 diesel. Single exhaust. <laughs> nice. We're chatting with the... Uh, we're watching the uh, freshly revamped Gladiators on telly now, which has got hints of the traditional, but with uh, Bradley Walsh and others. And it was, oh, what would uh, what would your Gladiator name be? So I was trying to think of, uh, of something you know, sort of petrol-orientated, so it would have been nitrous or something like that. But actually yours is X-Type. That's not, a bad, <laughs> that's not a bad gladiator name, is it? X-Type. That's pretty good. X-Type. Exhaust. Yeah, so you could do that. You could do that, cross your arms as X-Type or, you know, like X-type. Wolf used to do when he got introduced, you know, rawr, I'm Wolf. Are you? <laughs> well, I could just, just see right. the player. There's the player profile. It's going to be, what's your name? X-Type. What are you named after? A Mondeo-based 2.2-litre diesel Jaguar. Cut! Slightly soggy, slightly stodgy around <laughs> the edges, but, you know, perfectly adequate on occasion when required. Looks a bit old money. Something that's um, rather bizarre and a bit unsettling that uh, popped up on Jalopnik this last week. I do like Jalopnik. They have some interesting stuff. Some poor Porsche Taycan, Taycan, pronounce it how you wish. Looks like it's been opened with a can opener, if you, if you want the pun. Uh, this poor thing, is, as you'll know, a Taycan, or pretty much every Porsche, or pretty much most cars these days, have, have got eyes that are LED-based. Their headlights are becoming more and more jewellery than anything else, and they're becoming more and more expensive due to the, the technology that's involved in them. We know with steering beams and all sorts of clever light-up. Freaking lasers. Yeah, I mean, literally freaking lasers in, in headlights. I think BMW's got laser headlights, and I imagine the, the Porsche's probably not dissimilar. But somebody's taken it upon themselves in, uh, in Germany, I believe this was, to uh, literally remove the two headlight units from a very Kermit green Taycan using what I alluded to earlier. It looks like they've gone at it with a very, very big can opener or a pair of tin snips, or they borrowed Wolverine for the evening because this thing has two massive jagged holes in the front wings where they used to be headlight units, Mm. which might seem a little bit odd, but when you consider that the headlight units, according to Jalopnik, um, 
they're about four and a half thousand dollars each. So in in English, what? we're about three eight, three thousand seven hundred, three thousand eight hundred quid each Jesus for a headlight Christ. unit. If it wasn't for the fact that the car was so expensive, that would be a write off, surely. I mean, they've made a right mess. The wings are made of aluminium, so the thing is literally. Oh, no, I don't. Un- I, I don't know. Have uh, have you seen Have you seen the depreciation on a Taycan these days? They they look like ah. a very good used buy, ah. and actually the the collateral damage that they've caused in terms of bonnet and other bodywork and bits and pieces, four grand a lamp and a bonnet mm. and a wing and a wing and some paintwork and a bumper. You're probably not far off the value of a used one. So that that Volvo you found earlier at five hundred sheets for spares <laughs> for Graham. Do you buy another Taycan at thirty grand for spares for headlamps and a bonnet? I think it probably suddenly looks good value if it's the right colour, doesn't mm. it? But it's it's as I say, it's, it's not just the the fact somebody's nicked your headlights. That's irritating and and that's a hell of a kick in the watsit. But it's the collateral damage. It's the bonnet, yeah. and it's the everything else. It's it's horrific what they've done to this. It's 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 maddening. But they haven't nicked it for the headlamps, have they? They've they've nicked it for the starter modules because supposedly the little modules that are on top of the headlamps they use these for. I think possibly the headlamps themselves. I'm not sure, but certainly the modules they use them for hydroponics reasons. Ah, yes, uh. horticulturalist. Mm. If you're the kind of person that has a very big indoor greenhouse inside your entire house um then these are probably for you so yeah the reason why they're supposedly being nicked is not for the value of the headlamps they're being nicked because they're useful for growing things but surely hydroponic lights can't be that expensive yes but these are free (laughs) if it's just bright leds every time you're on facebook instagram or whatever you see an advert for military inspired the best headlamp torch in the world ever that will light up the moon from when you're wandering around the woods or whatever why not just buy a load of them they're only 99p each or something stupid horticulturalism is uh, is quite a lucrative business allegedly you think you could invest some uh, some capital in the plant and equipment literally <laughs> it does seem a bit extreme though really i mean to go and hack apart i mean they don't give a monkey's what they're hacking up obviously but at the same time to the best of, of my effort. knowledge and i have yeah i have absolutely genuinely no knowledge about this other than i watch on um traffic cops when they're going kicking somebody's door in to go oh look we found another grow and they're uh, bypassing the electric and, and all of this sort of thing and there's a very strong smell of cannabis coming from this place literally it's a growth industry so the lights must be getting <laughs> cheaper and no pun intended well maybe but surely it doesn't warrant hacking up a car to get at the headlights it seems like a lot of effort rather than anything else it strikes to me that there's there's a world of possible headlamps here uh, headlamp headlines here so something on the lines <laughs> of uh, yeah we've got green the color we've got taycan and taken there's got to be something in there if you've got an idea of what that headline could be let us know we are at uk motor talk everywhere Jim, you've been somewhere this week, haven't you? And it's quite exciting. You were an invited guest. I was a properly invited guest. I was lucky enough to be invited up to Williams, Formula One team, so up to the uh, the Grove head office. 
And uh, and it was it was one of these things. At first, it was a bit you know all all these scam emails that you get sent out. You know, it's all oh, the, the he's a prince of of Nigeria and he's got some money for me. It's amazing. But it's you know if you're going to scam email me with click here and register your interest, it was an email from Formula One dot com. So I'm signed up there and I do fan surveys and bits and pieces on there. And they said uh, you know oh, reg- register your interest here. So I did. And uh, many months went by, forgotten all about it, and then got an email that said, would you like to come up to a Formula One team factory for the day and, and give your opinion on F1 and things and chat about F1? I mean, it's, it's one of the most stupid questions anybody's ever asked me, to be honest. So I uh, I naturally said yes, and, and up I went and met with... Uh, there was... Uh, I felt very privileged, actually, because there, uh, there was only about a dozen of us. We all sort of said the same thing as we were chatting once we'd parked up and, and as we were wandering in was did you think this was a scam as well? And it was, yeah, I couldn't believe it when I got the email. And then there was one guy, the uh, the email had landed in his spam box and uh, and he didn't see the uh, the email till about 36 hours before the event, but uh, emailed and said I'd missed it. Any chance I can still come along? So Williams very graciously said yes, but we were, uh, we were up there for the day, got a tour of the museum, the largest privately owned collection of F1 cars in the world ever. And some of the bits are kit in there. I mean, the, the FWO, Everything, pick a number, you name it. Everything from the first car ever up until uh, the Williams that George Russell got his podium in at uh, the Belgian Grand Prix. And uh, as, as the guy Tom, who was showing us around the museum, said, he said, "Well, technically it wasn't really, but hey, a podium's a podium. We'll take it. We've had a few taken offers over the years, so uh, you take what you can get." But the history, the passion, the the theatre in the place, and what these machines represent. I mean, it's very easy for somebody from the outside or somebody who doesn't quite get cars to say they're they're just cars but what these cars represent what they've done the the people behind them what's gone into them tells a story and it i mean it for for me it certainly highlighted a what a champion what a fighter and what a what a uh, to, to use a phrase from earlier, what a warrior bastard that Frank, Sir Frank Williams was. <laughs> and, you know, just a, a few little bits along the lines, you know, there was the odd thing where the an engine deal, an engine supplier was saying, uh, well, we're not quite sure about you, so I think we're going to go with this other team. And and you thought, you know, n- nothing breeds excellence so much as anger, does it? Because the car that was produced the following year just wiped the floor with everyone. And the uh, the examples of what one man, Sir Frank Williams, with uh, with his mate Patrick Head, pretty much did single handedly in the in the early days of Williams to create some of these these cars, these you know the best racing cars in the world at the time. And it was the pair of them with a. Uh, a small team of uh, a few of their mates and like-minded individuals in in a shed and they just sort of glued these random cars together and and they were world beaters so it's um you know it was a testament to to what the human mind can achieve when it uh, when it sets to it but then uh, a couple of really sad things as well there was uh Ayrton Senna's spare car from the Imola weekend parked up there and you thought oh what well, if he'd have got in that one instead just because of Whatever reason, if you could go back in time and do anything, what would you do? Oh, I'd see if I could get into the garage and just stamp on the wishbone of the car that he actually got into, so he'd have to take the spare car. Why not? Just, you know, what what, what could you do? And um, the side pod of Villeneuve's car, and I can still hear Brundle's commentary of, that didn't work, Michael, you hit the wrong part of him, my friend, but you're, you're looking at 
the little hole in the side pod that was created when Schumacher banged into him and just uh, said just that from from start to finish and then a few little anecdotes of um, what a genius Sir Frank was when it came to a few deals and incentives and you know Lance, much, much as you might align pay drivers or uh, drivers that come with daddy's money, a bit of it was, uh, oh, well, will you take my son? Yeah, but we need a simulator to get him up to speed in the lower formula. So pop in a simulator that will do whatever level he's in at the moment. And yeah, we'll take him on. All right. okay, yeah. Oh, actually, but he'd very cleverly worded the contract that said it will supply a simulator to the level for the category entered. So the next year he just bunged him into F1. So... Sir Frank got a, a certain Canadian well-heeled gentleman to pay for a driver-in-loop simulator. And then we, we all just sort of looked at each other at the end of this story and you thought, oh, that's why he kept him for a couple of years, because he got a free driver-in-loop simulator out of the deal. And he thought, actually, yeah, it was well worth taking him on for a couple of years, even if he crashed a few cars. It's, and it was just things like that. You thought from the outside, Lance is crashing a few cars. Is he the best driver to have? And it's like, when he's paid for a driver-in-loop simulator, yes, he is the best driver that you can have, because mm. it doesn't really matter if he crashes a few cars. Because actually the cars are quite cheap compared to a driver-in-loop simulator. So he got a good deal out of it. And we uh, we just walked out of the tour thinking, yeah, he was a really, really, really sharp cookie, was uh, was Sir Frank. So uh, so hats off to him. So we had the tour of the museum, which uh, if if you either get a chance to go walk and book a ticket and, and they do evenings and and they open it up to people so you can you can book a ticket and go along just just go along because the the history and the heritage that's in there is is wonderful then they gave us lunch and uh yeah then we had a, a chat and i have i've got to be slightly careful i had to uh, to sign a non-disclosure agreement so i felt very important i thought oh, are we going to see some double diffuser or some fantastic underbody downforce i still don't really understand what a double diffuser actually is to be fair and even if i saw one i'm not sure i could go running down the road to tell mclaren what it was but there we go um but we uh, we signed this uh this nda anyway but it was uh the the whole reason for being there was the williams rebrand and logo and development and color schemes and bits and pieces for uh for the coming years and uh it it made me very very happy and uh much as i've waxed lyrical about sir frank and and everything he achieved their plans for the future make me very very happy and uh and i think i think where they're heading i mean where they've gone over the last period of time under james val's rather calm rather strategic rather insightful leadership is uh is good to see but they they have an ambition to be championship winning once again and um yeah them them having looked after me i'm uh, i'm easily bought i wish them every success with it and i'll be cheering them <laughs> on with a, with a little extra impetus but just that peek behind the curtains just gives you that that little extra human side and and of course you know the when i say rebrand there's no there's no change of name they're not becoming who are they now was it cash 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 app visa rb plus point whoever it is i mean I, I i don't mind the cash app visa that's fine because mastercard lola that was a thing it's the RB thing that gets me. I mean, it's I, I just I I had to give my feedback on the the Williams efforts, and I just said, you know, it it makes Red Bull look like a bunch of amateurs when it comes to branding, which is which is going some to be fair, because Red mm. Bull are nothing if not phenomenal at branding. But you look at the way Cash App Visa RB have gone, Visa Cash App RB, whoever it is, and then you look at the way Williams are going. 
it's it's night and day. But on the cash app RB, YRB, the big team is Red Bull. But keep it as Alpha Tauri. Go back to Toro Rosso. Hell, call it Minardi. Celebrate the heritage and the history. RB is just lazy. Call it Tyrrell. Let's go old school. Tyrrell. <laughs> That'd do. That's that's heritage. Tyrrell is Mercedes. Yes, I know, but just use the name. <laughs> just just yeah, bring the not? name back. Yeah, I know I know it's not them, but you know, it's that sort of era. Just just give it a bit of class. It's retro's big at the minute. Just bring back the colour scheme. Bring back you know, stick a picture of Ken's mug on the back of the thing and everyone's happy. I'd be happy. I'd start watching again, possibly. But I was just looking at the photos when you were talking through there, and they're re- I mean, I think I said at the time when you sent the the photos and we were looking through them all and commenting there's a real bittersweet feeling whenever whenever i see I mean, for me at least whenever i see the um the rothman's livery and particularly when you know you you tell the story of that being that i didn't realize that was the spare car um i knew it was one of the cars from his era but uh you know it, it just takes on a whole new meaning doesn't it when you realize what could have been and uh it's it's Apposite to mention, I mean, it's 30 years since we lost Senna this year, and that really Ooh, doesn't Jesus. feel – it feels like yesterday. It really, really does. I mean, we were, we were all watching it I at feel work. old. Yes, I am old. You, you feel old. <laughs> My God. It was, um, it was a pretty terrible weekend. But, I mean, it's, it's good that Williams haven't hidden away from that, and they have that. You know, it's part of their history, and for – you know, for the team and for a couple of them in particular, it was a very, very difficult time. I mean, let's lest we forget Frank Williams, Newey, Patrick Head were all basically prosecuted by the Italians. And you know, for yeah, a long I think time, it, was, it was only very recently that it that it all went away, wasn't it? Or it yeah. was, you know, case dismissed or or whatever. They they've had that hanging over them. Yes, in, and not not just in in terms of consciousness and and keeping you awake at night, but in a very legal sense, that's been hanging over them for yeah twenty eight of the last thirty years. Exactly, and when you then sort of put into it the personal effect that the accident had in the first place, you know that happened on their watch. It was their car with their name, you know, particularly Frank's name on it. It will be forever inextricably linked. And again, that's why I think whenever I see the Rothmans livery, it I'm afraid it does take me straight to centre. I can't really, I mean, the yellow helmet sticking out the top of that car. It's got bad vibes for me, but to see it there in the museum, you know, with no pretense, no sort of glossing over it, there it is, that's part of our history. We can't undo what happened. Um, I think that speaks volumes for the class of the team. They do have a lot of class. And I think when you were talking about the difference between Williams and Red Bull, I think that the word that came up was class. Williams have class. I mean, they when I mean, they've had some odd names in the past, I mean, a long string of Canon Williams, Honda, insert other names in here. I mean, they've all done it. All teams have done it. But I think Williams has pedigree. Perhaps it has it has more history, and it's it's earned the right to have ups and downs. And that came across, I think, from what you've said and from looking at the photos. And it's um it's somewhere I'd very much like to go and have a, a look at one day. There's a couple of things for me, isn't there? And that is that as a nation, we love an underdog or someone that's a bit of an underdog. And if that's a case of, well, we can't afford to do everything, we'll make it go quick because we can't make it go quick everywhere. Let's make it go fast. Or whether it's the, the sort of the, the, a sort of a bulldog spirit, I guess, and everything that goes with that. There's something that's very attractive about that, that you can love that kind of story, can't you? You can, you can become emotionally involved with that. And I think that there's there's something really compelling about that. I can see really why you would get behind Williams in that way. And I guess the other thing is that there's so much talent that's come from 
Williams, isn't there? When you think about drivers, so many names. There is a, a real rich history there. And even the old road car special, we were chatting off air the other day, Jim and I, about the Clio Williams, which is, for me, sort of growing up, as a, a sense we used by in my formative years, now a lot of money as a, as a 90s hot hatch. But I would always, when I, when I hear Williams, I also always go to that. You know the blue car with the gold wheels. Yeah, I think I like the. Although they've uh, they've been taken over or bought out uh, or whatever you want to call it by uh, Doralton Capital. Unlike the the Brabham discussion that we had over uh, naming rights and bits and pieces. How do you not end up with the rights to your own name? But it's quite easily done when Claire and Johnny disappeared after selling the team off. It's like, oh, are they going to rebrand? Are they going to call it a different name? Is it not going to be Williams anymore? But it's, um, that's, uh, that's not happened. And, uh, from, well, the feedback I gave, and I, I hope it's certainly not going to happen. It's staying true to, to his vision and, but still just nice things that they retain. Like Sir Frank gave permission for the local flying chaps to fly at low height over his grounds. He, he gave his airspace rights to them because he liked the planes. So it was this, oh yes, I like planes, planes are cool, fly closer to my office window, as close as you can get, as low as you can get, and give it the full beans when you're going past, because he liked it, you know, it's, it's the equivalent of moving next to a racetrack and saying, uh, oh yes, but yes, you can have a, go up my driveway as well, that's part of it, but as long as you do, make sure you go flat out, none of this speed limit stuff, and uh, and you'll be at work and he says it and the planes just fly low and they always fly low and fly loud as a, as a mark of respect to Sir Frank and uh, and I like mm. that that's carrying on and they're they're maintaining the history because at, at the end of the day Sir Frank's gone and people pass away and move on but it's um the ethos of the team is is still there and the the work ethic is still there and they haven't just thrown away the history they've uh, they've held on to it so that's uh, that's cracking to see and uh, and good luck to them cheers williams Can I just move on now to say some thank yous, if that's okay with you guys? Those of you who've been following us on YouTube will know that I've been building up the onion. And Jim mentioned this earlier on, and I said I would come back to it, I did promise that was the case. I've been sticking a, a Focus ST engine into my old Ryan. It's an acquired taste I appreciate, but it's something that I wanted to do for many years, and, and now it's, it's finally come to fruition. The truth is that I couldn't do this alone, partly because I'm not smart enough, partly because I'm always learning and partly because I've been struggling, truth be told, with a number of different things, but particularly physically um, with, with my hands. We're not quite sure what's wrong at this point in time. Might be arthritis, might be something else. We don't know. But long story short, there are days where I can't hold a pen, let alone pick something up. And so it has been a real problem. There have been a number of aspects of this bill that people have helped me with. There's a chap called Mikey who's been helping me remotely. Um, despite having many things in his own life going on, he's been he's been very keen to help, and uh, even so far as to be able to provide the map for the car, for the uh, for the software and everything else, and he's been guiding me through that part of it. But also physically as well, I wanted to say a public thank you to Jim when he was actually here, rather than mentioning it when he wasn't. A sticking to oh, bless your now. cotton socks. Yes, forgive me being soppy, but I physically can't do this on my own. So this is a thanks to Jim and also a thanks to everyone out there who knows what it's like to work on a project and A, to do it alone, quite often at cold nights in the garage or whatever it might be, and to have friends around you that, that can and will help. It's amazing. It's it's a lovely thing to be able to do. And it's, it's such a wonderful thing to be able to receive. And it's difficult sometimes to ask for help. So I just want to say thank you. So this is a thank you to everyone out there, as well as Jim that helps with this kind of thing and gets behind the project. There's so, so many people. I'm sorry for everyone that I've, that I've forgotten. My, my next door neighbor, Jeff, who said, 
he'll come around and hold stuff for me. Um, he'd call him Holdy Jeff. Sorry, sir, he said. Um, <laughs> and just came and helped pump up the uh, the engine when we were lowering it in and uh, positioning it on the jack. He was there, despite having had a hip replacement not long ago, uh, able to help. To my dad, to Mike, as I mentioned, to Mark. There's so many different people that have, that have helped different bits. To PP, the chap that welded my exhaust. There's so many people that I really should say thank you to. And of course, as I say, thank you to Jim as well for being able to do... Uh, to come and help with some of the more physical aspects of it and uh, also for lending me some of the gear for getting it in, including an engine crane, which uh, just come courtesy of the company in a van to get it there. So I wanted to say thank you, but I wanted to say thank you when you were here. That's very well escaped. And uh, at least last time I was really nice to you. So I think the last time I helped you, I didn't threaten to smash your head in with a lump hammer, did I? So there was, I, no, I didn't even come close, time. I don't think, did I, to be fair? So I was really no, nice to you. Did either of us injure ourselves either? I can't remember. Did you squash your finger? Uh, I imagine that that time before. No, I think I think we were okay. No, nobody lowered mm. an engine onto anybody's head or anything like that. So no, I think I think we no. got done well. I think we went most of the day without swearing at each other as well, didn't we? We so. did, which is unusual. Good God! I know we managed <laughs> to get away with it. Um, but yes, if you are interested in seeing what we've been doing, uh, there are updates on the, our YouTube channel, and there are some more coming as well. Andrew, who uh, edits and produces this show for us and for all of you to enjoy, is currently sat there with his head in his hands thinking, great, I've got to do this now, he's promised it. Um, so they will be appearing at some point on, online. There we are, we are at UK Motor Talk on YouTube and everywhere else. On that note, it's probably time for us to say goodbye for now. Thank you for listening. We look forward to speaking to you next time. If you have any other questions that we can answer about Formula One or anything else, by all means, Right to Jim, because he clearly knows a lot more than I do. <laughs> and Dave and, of course, Graham. The three of them are our, our, our gurus. Uh, Jim, obviously, uh, gets invited up to Williams. And they just basically do what he says. So I've been Mike. Goodbye. I've been Jim. Goodbye. Take care. And I've been Dave. And the only Formula One I know about sort of stopped about 20 years ago. But I'll do my best with what I can. All right. Take care. See you next time. UK Motor Talk, a first take media production.